I, I can give you guys a play, and then if you guys want to repeat it after me, as if you guys were in the huddle, you guys can't. All right. Should I go once or twice saying it? Once? All right. We got North Ray, Clamp, South Fox, H-Top, Pass 38, Top Gumby, XP, Sweat. Let's go. Anyone? <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds like a pre-snap penalty to me. Oh, my gosh. I like that version of Tua. Not quite salty, not quite reticent and shy, and he has those tendencies, which is fine. I I did too at that age and still do to a certain extent, although at a certain point in your life, it's no longer shyness. It's just like, I don't want to deal with people anymore. When you're young, it's shy. When you're old, it's get off my lawn. It's the same psychological dysfunction, or for me, function. Good morning, Miles. Another Friday closer to football season. Yeah, we're another Friday closer to something, I'll tell you that. Another Friday closer to getting off your lawn. Another Friday closer to a tropical storm hitting Los Angeles. You see this, Mike? Got a Hurricane Hillary coming through the Pacific. It's probably going to be a tropical storm by the time it reaches landfall here in Los Angeles. Unbelievable, man. Going to get all kinds of rain. I pay close attention to the weather because I'm concerned about the world in which I live. But I do know one thing. Where I live here, hurricanes not an issue. West Virginia, no hurricanes. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Um, What else was I going to say? Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, when you said get off my lawn, you had me all riled up yesterday on the Hall of Fame. You just made one comment, and it got me fired up. And you voluntarily agreed to get off my lawn. And I said, stay off at this time. Don't come back. (laughs) Well, yes, I did. Discussing the whole Hall of Fame selection process i don't want to get started i just oh boy the whole thing they just pull the bar down pull the bar down let more in got to clean up our messes from past years guys who didn't get in when their contemporaries got in we're putting them in 40 years later that makes no sense to me you either get in when your windows open or you don't get in doesn't baseball do that i don't know i think i heard that once like there's a point where you can never get in you have your opportunity to get in, and then the, the sun sets on that, and others who are currently or have more recently, like within the past 60 years, been contributing to the game, they're the ones who get considered for the immortality of the Hall of Fame. Anyway, I just as you can tell, I have a problem with that, and you had a problem with me do. having a problem with that, and I had a problem with you having a problem with me having a problem with that, and good morning. Yeah, do you have a problem with the Browns tying? Do you have a problem? Do you have a problem oh with tie? I'm, I'm going to just blow right past the topic. No, do you have a problem with ties in the preseason? Hell no, I don't have a problem with ties in the preseason. I've been a problem with ties in the preseason. The last thing you want is overtime in the freaking preseason. But I'll tell you this, Mike, about the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. Free football. Bonus football. It's a museum. So people are going to have different levels of contribution to the game. And I don't think it's so bad if somebody that you've never heard of happens to get into the Hall of I've Fame. I've heard of him. Because maybe I've heard of him. that you may have heard of, Parker. of him. Yeah, oh, well, I, I've never heard of Buddy Parker. I would have heard of him more. I would have. I never said that. I never said that. I would I should pull up the text right now. You, you literally are like. I never said I never heard of him. 
There, you go. There are people said. I've never heard of who are getting into the Hall of Fame, and it's like, oh, okay. Not so the Florio standard, yes, it is. The not Florio what I said. standard no, now not, is not what I said. If, if he doesn't, if I don't know him, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, which is a little preposterous. So all that's I'm not, saying is that's not what I was suggesting. Not at all. It, God, you're, you're sounding mm, like uh, never mind mm, right now. Oh, oh boy. You're sounding oh, like okay. You, you see, as you're going, as you're scrolling back into the text. But that's that oh, I know exactly what I said. We're saying, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, you know how Here I know who Bar- I look. It, I know who Buddy Parker is. Television. What I said was, what I said was, that's why I tried to blow past it. What I said I was, know. some of the people on the list. There were twelve people that this twelve committee of people who I don't know who they are except Shireen because we know Shireen was on the call. The I don't. I mean, I know I would know the names, but it's not like they disclose who the twelve people are who are making these star chamber decisions. Some of the names on the list of the 12 candidates for that one finalist spot were names I had never heard of. I had heard okay. of Buddy Parker. Some of the other names I had not. That was what I said. I never said All I'd right. never heard of Buddy Parker. Fine. Then Buddy Parker the, the point was a coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just because you've never heard of them doesn't mean that they are, un, that they are undeserving of being in the Hall of Fame and Museum. Again. If different people have different levels of contribution to the game in the freaking museum, I think that that's fine. That's like, that's all museums. I don't know. I think it's nice to be able to be educated about different people who have different levels of contribution to the game. I think that's fine. You can think it's different. We're not on the Hall of Fame selection committee, so it doesn't really matter. Well, talk about something else. There's a difference between, there's a, there's a difference between, I tried to blow past it and talk about ties in the (laughs) preseason. I just, I, I had to check you on that. Okay, that's fine. I have to check you on trying to check me. So get ready. It's coming. Just like when Michael checked Toby into the boards in a clip that never actually made it into the show, but somehow is a gift that I use all the time. So it's a museum. I agree. And and you're onto something here. It's a museum that needs people to go there. It's a business. And that's one of the reasons they've diluted the ultimate honor in the Hall of Fame by letting so many people in. One week and out of the year, they got maximum capacity because we got nine this year. Nine. Are you kidding me? Nine new busts. You can have exhibitions in the museum, but you don't have to give somebody a bronze bust that is there forever. And that is among this ever-growing mushroom farm of bronze busts that is bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where Deion Sanders says, well, what's going on here? Who are these people? We need an upper room to the Hall of Fame that signifies the true best of the best. And my own Hall of Fame standard would be if you have to have a true debate, not a phony Terrell Owens debate because a few sports writers thought he was mean to them. If you have to have a debate on the merits of someone's belonging to the Hall of Fame, it shouldn't be in. It should be, for all the ones who get in, it should be mic drop. We know, we know Hall of Famers when we see them. Everybody else can have an exhibit at the museum. The bronze bust should only go to the people who are indispensable, to the people who are the best of the best, to the people on whom there can be no debate. That's my point. And if you're not going to do that, then make an upper room that has those people in it. That's all I'm saying. Okay.
But it's good. It. You know, we got the juices flowing. I still want to find this damn text. Where is this damn text? Boy, we send a lot of text messages to each other. How do we deal uh, with we each do. other? I mean, all day long. All, we do. all day long. <laughs> it's, it's because it's only text messages. And this is the only two hours that I actually have some sort of talking interaction with you every week. So that's okay. That's what really makes it okay, probably. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to put a button on this cuz here's what usually happens. I know you don't watch the show every other day because it starts at 4 a.m. Pacific time and you probably don't watch or listen to the podcast later and for that I cannot blame you. Here is the te- but my point is Sims and I usually piss away the first 10 or 15 minutes anyway. So this is fine. Yes. And and the rundown today, there's nothing on here that's making me say, "Oh boy, I can't wait to talk about that thing." I mean, this is just <laughs> one of those days where it's a hodgepodge of crap, frankly, but we have to get through the 2 hours. <laughs> and that's not a slap at the producer. All she can do is put together the topics based on what the news is. Yesterday was not a very newsy Hodge, day, so we react crap. to it today. Wow. Okay. Still- Here's what I texted. Here's my text. I have the receipts. I have the receipts. By the way, a lot of people would like to get their hands on one of these stickers. They're very exclusive. Uh, Miles doesn't even have one. Nor does he want one. Here we go. Uh, If you can't get in when people from your era are getting in, you shouldn't get in. I'm going to keep pushing for an upper room. The honor has been diluted. Some of the 12 who were up for this latest thing I had never heard of. So... I just feel better now. I never said okay. I never heard of Buddy Parker. But there All were right. some of these names. Fine. It's like, who the, who the fook is that guy, as Connor <laughs> McGovern would say. And there it is. Yeah, There, there it is. Believe. Well done. <laughs> I don't know why that never made its way into the episode. That was the episode where it was Michael's birthday, and Kevin thought he had skin cancer, and Michael was upset that it was taking away from the celebration of the day of his birth, including the moment of his birth when they put him up on a chair and rammed his head through the, the drop ceiling. Okay, preseason week two got started with a thud, a tie. I, I had forgotten, <laughs> frankly, I had forgotten that they stopped playing the preseason games. That's been around for a few years now, that they just call it quits when the clock strikes zero in the fourth quarter and they don't play a, an overtime session. And that's good. You don't want any more live reps it's all practice it's all a glorified scrimmage we don't need to continue this process we call it a tie and we go home 18 to 18 it was a two-point conversion by the eagles that made it 18 18 and it was a couple of opportunities for rookie kicker Cade york to win the game that that kept it 18 to 18 we'll talk about that coming up the quarterback Position is always the thing that draws the attention, and Deshaun Watson, who knows how he's going to look this year. But they got something in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. They got something. They got a guy who can play. Now, when will he get opportunities to play in the regular season? Not anytime soon when you got a quarterback who's making $46 million a year fully guaranteed. But they got something they can work with with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, a guy whose skill set will track what Deshaun Watson does. So if Watson would get injured, you can run the offense. You don't have to make dramatic changes. You don't need offense A and offense B. So many teams have starter and backup who are so different, you have to have two different playbooks. They can pull this off with DTR backing up Deshaun Watson, and it feels like sooner than later that's where we're going to be. Maybe not this year. Josh Dobbs will be number two, most likely. I love that throw. What a throw that was. Yeah. What a throw that was. When he let go of the ball, it's like, uh-oh, rookie. That's like, damn, 12-year veteran. So I-, I was impressed with what we saw from Dorian Thompson Robinson last night.
Yeah, you know, Mike, I, I think a couple weeks ago when uh, after the Hall of Fame game, you know, I kept calling him like a chaos agent. I think he's kind of progressed in the last few weeks from that kind of player to one where you can say, all right, you're a legitimate backup here. You know, you feel like you can really work with somebody. He feels like a more legitimate player and somebody that can pilot the offense. And I think that that's a really good thing. I also think that a lot of it has to do with his starting experience in college. I mean, I'm about Brock Purdy, Gardner Minshew, like those guys who started a ton of games at the college level. DTR did that at UCLA, right? 48 starts over the course of five years, which made it feel like he was there forever. But I think when you have that level of experience at the college game, it helps you transition to the league so that not everything is too big for you. I mean, that early on in the game, he's got a free blitzer coming and he knows, all right, I got to get the ball out of my hands and into the hands of my hot, who's the running back on the left side. I love that. You don't necessarily see that from a young quarterback that often. So I agree with you. I think the Browns have something to work with here, and that's only good for them as they try to establish a long-term backup. That's right. That's right. And maybe you can flip him for, you know, a mid-round pick or something better than that later in his contract if Deshaun Watson ends up working out. Deshaun Watson is the big question mark here, and he said last night during the broadcast he'd like to play a quarter in the preseason finale against the Chiefs after the game. Coach Kevin Stefanski said basically – I'll let you know he shouldn't have spilled the beans. And I think he actually used the spilled the beans line. So even in the preseason, everyone's really guarded. Even in the preseason, we got to watch what we say. There are strategic objectives that are on the line for our meaningless game in Kansas City to wrap the preseason on August 26th. Thompson Robinson also had a moment last night that, and you can, I mean, the rule is the rule. The blindside block rule, and it's not just blindside. It's very technical, and, you know, it used to be a play that would get people to kind of pop out of their seats when they'd see a block like this, but he got flagged for throwing the blindside block, and, you know, it it is what it is, and you, if you're moving, moving toward or parallel, I'm not even sure that that's a good call. You're supposed to be no, there. moving. It's there. Toward to oh he came back that way that's it yeah, that's there. it yes yeah. that's yeah, when you can't Tucker do it on the broadcast because you're moving you're moving back to what got got uh, fooled by the first block when you're moving back towards your goal line you can't hit the guy and they've made that a point of emphasis it's a safety issue and and he he got flagged for it but it's the kind of thing that teammates see that and they they kind of like it out of a quarterback. Well, yeah, I mean, you like it to a certain extent, right? I mean, you you see that he is putting in the effort to make sure that everything he can do on a play, he can do. And, and you do. You love that. He's a rookie. He's getting in there. He's getting his feet wet. He's playing. And again, that's something that he did at UCLA. It's nothing new. That's just the way he plays. It's his style. However, if you do end up being a backup quarterback, right, you can't go in and do these kinds of things because at a certain point, you're putting yourself at risk. And if you are the backup quarterback and you're playing in a game, that means that something bad happened to the starter. So you don't necessarily want to see too much of that, but I I think you'd always rather have it where you got to pull a guy back. than you have to push a guy forward, you know? So that kind of effort, love it. Just let's maybe think about what we're doing here. And maybe we got to make a business decision or two at some point, but you know, to establish yourself as a rookie in the preseason, 
I, I can't say that there's anything wrong with it other than the fact that it was a penalty. Well, and it almost would have been on the line of unnecessary roughness. Now, the play was still going on, but it just felt like one of those, I just want to take a shot at this guy, and who knows what precipitated it or preceded it among the two, but it seemed like it had a level of animosity to it that a normal block wouldn't have. Regardless, it was a blindside block, and it's a rule that the NFL will aggressively enforce. Never mind the fact that the NFL has its head buried in the sand with all of these fights we're seeing in the joint practice sessions, and there's more and more noise about it. Am I wrong? Am I wrong to not understand and to try to get the NFL to give a crap about all these fights we're seeing? There was a helmet flying yesterday at the Packers-Patriots joint practice. You got a guy in Washington who's got a rotator cuff injury because he was slammed to the ground by Mark Andrews after a play. I just can't reconcile, nor can anyone else, the fact that they micromanage everything these guys do during a game But it's open season. It's boys will be boys during these joint practice sessions. Just go beat the hell out of each other. We don't care. You can't reconcile the two. You just can't. And when I see the the flag for blindside block on a hit that looked like, you know, 1% of some of the the hatred and the hostility seen in these joint practice sessions, it's, 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 it's laughable that the NFL does nothing about it and cares nothing about what goes on at these practices. They control everything else these guys do. But you get into joint practices, you get at training camp, ah, go do whatever you want. We don't care. We got better things to worry about. I, I, I think, you know, we were going to talk about this later on in the show. Uh, but oh, also, well, we will. It's, but I just got triggered by it. I got triggered yeah, by it. I know. We will talk I about see. it later. Among the hodgepodge of crap for today, it is one of the topics. But uh, I'll give you a little taste of it in advance, a little preview. Hatred and and hostility, I think, also is a little bit strong there. It's just an emotional game, and guys get a little bit riled up. I don't know about hatred and hostility. The emotion is hate. The emotion is hate. Okay. That's I mean, what happens. I don't, think the, I don't think the emotions hate. I think it's just, you know, you're a little riled up and maybe sometimes you get frustrated. And sometimes that frustration boils over, but I don't know that it ever really ventures into hate. My, uh, but what I was going to say about it's okay, Greg. the block. It's okay, Greg. I hate some things, too. Like what? Go ahead. I don't. I have no idea what you're referencing there. Uh, what what, what was that? What was that? Nothing. That, that's for me to know and you to find out. That's for me and okay. everyone else watching to know and for you to find out. Great. Why don't we hear that- from DTR and Coach Kevin Stefanski about the illegal blindside block while we regroup? That's a that's still a work in progress, but uh, you know I, I have a sweet spot for Felt. Um, when he runs the ball, you know I got to stick my nose in there. So, um, but no, Coach Coach Stefanski definitely uh, let me have it after that one. Uh, no penalties, so um, I'll definitely have to work on that uh, going forward. I didn't like that penalty, and he knows that rule that you can't block back. I love the kid's effort. I love the feistiness. I love that he wants to throw his body around, and his teammates love that. Uh, but I don't love hurting the team with a penalty. And that's yes. the key. And that, that's why that, that look, that's why the extracurricular stuff is usually frowned upon by the coaches during practices because you want to learn how to practice the way you play and you play the way you practice and yada, yada. You get the 15 yards of field position because there was a little something. There was some emotion that was coming from DTR when he threw that illegal blindside block and they try to iron that out. But you're right. It's better to have the fire on and have to crank it down than to sit there with a couple of rocks trying to trying to get the fire going on some of these guys. 
Yes, it is. And look, I mean, 10 to 15 years ago, that's a play that would have been praised, right? And it wouldn't have been a penalty. I mean, think about how many times Heinz Ward did something like that against the the Ravens or against the Bengals or against my Browns, where everybody was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And so like, you got to take the good with the bad sometimes. And like Kevin's fancy said, love the effort. Don't love the penalty. Don't commit the penalty, please. Especially not as a quarterback. Don't throw your body and put it in harm's way when you're a backup. All right. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Cade York, rookie kicker, fourth rounder, had a great start to the night, three for three. Second year. Second year kicker. Sorry, second year kicker. Why do I think he's a rookie? Okay, he's not a rookie anymore. He's a second year kicker. You you made the comment last night about uh, don't use a fourth round pick on a kicker, and it got into my brain that he was a rookie because who's got the third round rookie this year that. Yeah, it is your fault. It is your fault that I forgot. Um, So. So he makes three, two 43-yarders and a 27-yarder, and then he misses two with the game on the line, 47, mm-hmm. and they called it 41. I don't know how that the math works there in the game book when it's a five-yard penalty. But, but uh, regardless, I don't know. I guess they changed the spot on the second one. But here's the first one. Two minutes left. The Browns, uh, the Browns, the Browns in a chance to take the lead, and uh, he goes wide left. And then, you know, it's the classic overcorrection. Boy, are they ever going to snap the ball on this? It's the classic overcorrection after he goes wide left or wide right. I guess that's considered wide. That's wide right. Scott that's Norwood, wide, wide right. right. It's, it's wide. It's Scott, it's Scott Norwood, wide right. Sorry, Bills fans. And the, uh, the penalty had the wow. five yards, and now it's a 41-yarder, and he overcompensates, and he goes wide left. And he admitted he overcompensated. You know, that's the problem. When you miss one, when you miss one, you got to forget about it. And he clearly didn't because he remembered I just missed to the right. So I got to kick it a little more to the left and he kicked it too far to the left. So you know, it, it's not a huge deal. The the uh, you know, the coach was fine with it and York was fine with it. And, you know, he's got confidence and he said he's missed only one out of 40 or 45 kicks during training camp. But you know, you'd like to see your kicker make those kicks. It's a simulation of what happens in a regular season game. It feels just like it. It looks just like it. And you got to make those kicks. Those are not long kicks anymore. In the 70s, anything over 40 yards was kind of impressive. Nowadays, you expect guys to make anything south of 50. And uh, I would have expected him to make one of those two kicks at a minimum, if not both. Although if he would have made the first one, there wouldn't have been the second one. But, right. I mean, they did have a penalty. The Eagles had a penalty. So, but yeah, you, you would have declined it. So you have to make it from 47. Right. Like we know he is capable of doing things like this because, and this is why it's like, why do you think he's a rookie? But you forgot that Kate York beat Baker Mayfield week one last year. Browns at Panthers. He makes that 50 plus yard field goal. I think it was 57. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is why you draft a kicker in the fourth round. Right. So he wins games for you. And then he kind of struggled through the second half of last season. You know, he misses a kick earlier on in the preseason. Now you just want to see him go out there, do what he needs to do. He makes the previous kicks and then he goes out there and he lose all over himself from 47 and then from 42 or 41 or whatever it was, then you overcompensate the other way. It's something where, man, if you draft the kicker in the fourth round, the kicker better be great. And you can't have these issues with the kicker because he's going to lose you a game. And the problem right now that the Browns have is that they basically have to have him lose a game for them 
because otherwise you just, what do you do? Right? Like there's not like there's some amazing kicker right now on the market that just could walk through Phil Dawson ain't walking through that door guys. So you got to kind of ride with Cade York because this is the bed that they've laid made for themselves. And now they have to lay in it. Right? So I think that eventually, yeah, they're going to have to do something about this, but it probably won't be until the middle of the season when he misses three to four critical kicks. And it's like, yeah, at this point, the kicker is actively losing games for us. That's the problem that the Browns are in because they used a fourth round pick on this kicker. Well, and you're almost in the situation the Broncos are in. Sean Payton said earlier this week they're not going to bring in any competition for Brett Maher because there's about seven true kicking competitions right now in the NFL, and whoever loses those competitions will become candidates to supplant Brett Maher. So he's competing with all those other guys out there that may eventually be out of a job, and nobody's going to try to trade their number two kicker. Guys are going to get cut. It's coming up August 29th. And that's when these kicking competitions, if not earlier, will be won or lost and other candidates become available. That's why you don't draft a kicker. Unless it is going to be a perennial pro bowler, a guy who is money from 60 on a regular basis, Justin Tucker, something like that. Because I think the mere act of using the draft pick on the kicker adds a layer of pressure. It does. And an extra burden mentally. When you do get into one of these cycles where, uh-oh, I missed too far to the right. Now I got to correct this way. Uh-oh, now I missed too far. Now I got to correct it. Now it's in my head, and I'm constantly thinking about it. And, you know, it's a delicate balance to have that sweet spot where you can go out and just make your kick, make your kick, make your kick. We take it for granted. It's not an easy thing to do. The guys who are great at it are just automatic. And once you get off that, that balance – it's hard to get it back. I think it's one of the reasons why Roberto Aguayo never made it in the NFL. Second mm-hmm. round, a second round pick on a kicker? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And 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 it's credit to Sebastian Janikowski who was unfazed by the fact that he was a first rounder, a first yeah. rounder, and he was with the Raiders for like forty years. He was Not worth the first forward. round pick, but he he ended up being worth the first round pick because he was that good. But I, I think you're onto something with the mental block, right? Cade York has been great in practice. He makes these things in practice. And again, he made the ones earlier in the game. But when you're in a moderate pressure situation, right? I mean, it's a preseason game. It's not a high-pressure kick. But if you're in a moderate-pressure situation, you have to make this kick. And I guess he just... For whatever reason, mentally, it's not there. And he's got to be able to get it there because otherwise he's going to lose a game. And you can't, if you lose games, you lose your job. Like that's the way this business works. It is a performance-based business. And so I have a level of empathy for a guy like that where, yeah, you were drafted in the fourth round. You didn't choose to be drafted. You happen to be really good at your craft. And so that's why you were, but at a certain point, you're a professional and professionals have to make results, right? And if you're not getting the results, then something has to change. And that's the point where the Browns are just going to have to do something to make sure he's comfortable. I don't know what they're going to do, but they got to do something because right, what, what they're doing right now in critical situations is not working. And, and we've seen over the years – from the Ravens, when you've got that guy that is automatic, it makes a difference. You're in field goal range much more easily. You know you're going to get three points out of a drive that otherwise would have been zero, and it just it changes how you feel about your team 
when you have a kicker that is really, really good. The problem is there aren't many that are really, really good. There's the one or two that stand out, and then there's everybody else. And that's the problem. When you're in the vat of everybody else, if you at any point get the yips, they're going to bring somebody in who they can count on to make the kicks. And it is – I say this all the time now. And what's, is it not going to stop me from saying it again? Okay. It's all one big machine. The whole thing is one big machine, yeah. and every part is interchangeable. Every position, every part, every role in a football organization is an interchangeable part. And none are changed out more easily than the place kicker, place kicker mm-hmm. and the punter. And when you've got guys everywhere who can do it, there's always more guys than the NFL needs at punter and kicker. You've got a very thin margin for error, and they're going to find somebody else, and they're going to yank you out of that machine, and they're going to replace you with a part that they think is going to get the job done if you at any point slip into that. I remember when Blair Walsh lost his way with the Vikings, starting with the chip shot that he missed in the playoffs in that epic outdoor Bud Grant in shirt sleeves game, and he never got it back after that. Never got it back, and the Vikings were patient with him. Because they thought if we cut him, it's going to wake him up and he's going to be great again. Like it like happened when they cut Daniel Carlson and he's been exactly. a damn good kicker ever since then for the Raiders. But but you, you keep waiting and you keep waiting and you get to a point where you just can't wait anymore. There's too many other guys out there that can do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Daniel Carlson because that's exactly the example I was going to bring up. I'm sure the Browns don't want Cade York to become Daniel Carlson for somebody else. But... Again, if he's actively losing losing games for you, then you got to do something at some point. But right now, I, I understand why they've got to stand by him, and I think that they kind of need to because that's the position that they're in. All right. Uh, for the Eagles, Marcus Mariota had some struggles. Mm-hmm. Nine for 17, 86 yards, and an interception. Some throws that were off the mark. And look, he's Some. the backup. He's the, he's the guy. He's the guy that is there in the event that Jalen Hurts – gets injured this year like he did last year and uh, i you know they're, they're happy with tanner mckee and uh, who knows what happens to mario if he keeps playing like that he's got one more preseason game to prove himself but yeah uh the, the eagles will not wait around on a guy who is showing that they will move on to somebody else because they learned last year the value of having a competent backup because Jalen Hurts could again. And that's what you need to have. You need to have what? You, they learned it last year. They needed, I mean, they needed they, Gardner I mean, Mitchell for three games. Years. Five games. They, they've known it for years. Well, that's, what they, well, that's I mean, true. I'm just saying like, that's, they know, why, that's right. why they got right. Jalen Hurts in the first place. You know, I agree with you. I, because I agree with you. you. That's you, right. You need a competent backup. So they said. That's a huge. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that's a huge part of the organizational philosophy. Right. Is having they a want a Super Bowl with a backup. Yeah. They, they regard backup quarterback as one of the most 11 important positions on the team. And right. ideally, yes. that person never plays. But every team with a great quarterback needs to have a guy that you can count on for two or three games because that can make all the difference in the world for your season. So if Mariota's not getting it done, they won't mess around. They, they will not. That's one thing the Eagles will not do. If there's a guy that is not playing to their level, they will make a change, whether that is bump up a lower guy or go out and find someone else to come in and be the backup to Jalen Hurts as of week one. Yeah, and they might need to because I'm I'm serious, Mike. Like, you look at what Marcus Mariota was doing last night. It just looked like what he was doing with the Falcons last year, which is why it was kind of like, man, when are they going to play Desmond Ritter? And finally, they did for the last four games. But Marcus Mariota right now just is not playing 
at the kind of level that you would expect a veteran quarterback to play. Right? This is somebody who has been in the league since 2015. He has 74 career starts. You don't expect him to go out there and check into a run play that ends up being a safety at the goal line. I mean, I don't really know exactly what was assigned there. You know, yeah, the guard might have missed the block, but at a certain point, why is he checking into that play? Is that something that's on the quarterback or is that something that's solely on the offensive line? I don't know, but I just know what the result was, right? And then also you look at all the passes that were airmailed and everything. You just can't have this from a backup quarterback. So it made sense to go and take a look at Marcus Mariota to go and sign him after Gardner Minshew went to the Indianapolis Colts following Shane Steichen. Right. Uh, yes. You think that when somebody has this many starts in his career, he can come in, he can at least be a quality backup for you. But you can con- contrast what Marcus Mariota has looked like with the Eagles versus Sam Darnold with the 49ers. Right. That's somebody who, again, has plenty of starts, was a high draft pick. But at least Sam Darnold looks a little bit competent. And he looks like he can go out there and pilot the offense. You don't even see that from Mariota right now. So I would be concerned if I were the Eagles. And I know that Sirianni said he was not last night, but I'm sorry. In the back of my mind, if you see that, there's no way you can't be at least a little bit concerned with your veteran backup. Tanner McKee, the rookie from Stanford, was solid last night. He was a six-round pick, so they have some belief in him. They see something in him. They ideally would probably prefer to groom him into the backup role 24, keep him around for a couple of years, just like Andy Reid used to do, cycle them out and get another one and maybe trade one of these backups. But they may need to trade for a backup. You mentioned Sam Darnold, and I was on KNBR yesterday, and, you know, they're, they're – the folks who are in and around the 49ers covering the team, rooting for the team, they're so sensitive about Trey Lance. And I think that they'd just all be better off if they could move on from Trey Lance. They need a good trade partner. Trey Lance backing up Jalen Hurts would be a hell of a lot better at this point than Marcus Mariota if you believe that Trey Lance can't play. That's been one of the hot takes this week, that he lacks the quarterback gene or whatever it is. But I, I just think he, he was in a bad situation to start his career And I'd be intrigued by him backing up a guy like Jalen Hurts or even Josh Allen, uh, who who doesn't have a solid number two behind him. And you need somebody who can come in and and kind of replicate what the starter does if the starter gets injured. So I don't know that they get a deal done because I think the 49ers would want a lot for Trey Lance to save face given what they gave up to get him. But if I'm the Eagles, I'm at least considering the possibility after what Marcus Mariota did last night. But here's the problem with that, Mike. You don't know what Trey Lance can do because there's no tape on Trey Lance. I mean, this is part of the issue that we keep talking about with him. He he doesn't have much playing history at all. I think about what we were just talking about with DTR, his 48 career college starts. Trey Lance doesn't have anything close to that. He's barely played football since 2019, and it's not his fault. And I don't want to say like, oh my gosh, this means he's a complete bust. He's terrible. He's this. He's like, I don't really think that we have no idea what would have happened last year if he had not gotten hurt in week two, but he did. And so the problem that the 49ers have is they've got this win now roster. And if you're going to have a backup, you want somebody who you can trust to be in there and know what they're doing inherently. And so that's the other problem. If, if you get Trey Lance to be your backup in Philadelphia, what are you going to, what What are we, I mean, he's not a veteran. He doesn't have the playing experience. You don't, you're still trying to teach him how to do things. So you're develop. you're trying to develop a guy 
when you need that guy to be a solid veteran backup and have him come in, stabilize a game if necessary, or maybe win a couple if necessary, if if your starter gets hurt. I, I just I don't think Trey Lance being a backup in that situation for another team is really going to be something that behooves either party. By the way, the Eagles' safety that was surrendered was preceded by rookie linebacker Nicobe Dean making a big hit and jarring the ball loose, and that's encouraging. You know, they recently signed a couple of veteran guys, Miles Jack, Zach Cunningham, because there was questions, you know, is this it? But, but the, 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 you get a little answer when he comes flying through, and he rocketed through so fast they didn't even realize he was the one who forced the fumble. They thought, they thought Street was the one that knocked it out. But Dean came through and knocked the ball out before Street gobbled up the uh, the runner and put him on the ground. So that was an encouraging moment for the Eagles because when you got a ton of strengths on the team, the weaknesses stand out, and that interior linebacker position is one where if you, if you had to point to an area where maybe you should be concerned, that's the area, and Dean helped alleviate those concerns last night. Yeah, he did. And, you know, you get a, a guy in John Kelly who's been in the league since 2018 when he was drafted by the Rams. So I covered him, you know, eons and eons ago. And you, you expect him at this point to be Wasn't able to keep a hold ago. on the football. I mean, in football years, yes, it was. That was a ton. That was a really like but a, when you I, get what? But when you get hit right on the ball, when you get hit right on the ball, there's only so much you can do to hold on to it. The Tiki Barber high and tight has its limits. When you get hit right yeah, on well. the ball, that thing's going to pop out sometimes. Yeah, okay. Well, I once asked John Kelly about pass protection, and he laughed at me and said, pass protection? Huh. And then he went out in a game and got blasted in pass protection, and the Rams had to go sign C.J. Anderson. He ran the Rams into the number two seed, and the rest was history. So there, there we go. What's that have to do with not fumbling? It just has, yeah, I don't know. It's just my John Kelly story. That's the, uh, what I think of when right. I think of John right. Kelly is him you found a way, you found a way to work in your John Kelly story. Yeah, I did. All right. Uh, speaking of running backs, speaking of running backs, Dalvin Cook, officially a member of the New York Jets, met with reporters yesterday and explained why he picked the team that Aaron Rodgers selected earlier this year. Uh, I think collectively, you know, when I came on my visit, I think I pretty much seen everything I needed to see. Uh, you know, it was good vibe with the coaches, the players, you know, everybody around the building. And, you know, obviously when you dig deep and look into the roster, I think all the pieces are put together. I think I can come help these guys. And you look at the running back room with MC, Brees, Bam, and all those guys with me just adding to it, I think it could be something special. How big a part of it was the chance to play with Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Being on the other side of that for the last six years, you know, I couldn't be on the other side no more. So it was just like being a, I got the chance to go join them and, you know, you know, help him win, win again. You know, that was that was a big thing to come, come over here. Yeah, he's seen Aaron Rodgers up close during his time with the Vikings, second round pick in 2017, and now they're partnered up. And Brees Hall looking pretty good. Saw clips of him on Twitter yesterday, looking 100 percent following the torn ACL he suffered Week Seven last year. He's back at practice. Cook is now on the team. He hasn't practiced yet but they expect him to join the team next week. He had that chronic shoulder problem last year. He's had it for a couple of years, been playing with a brace on, had the surgery, and and uh, believes he will now be playing with two shoulders instead of one, which could make a difference. But uh, Dalvin Cook is a guy that is a potential home run hitter, and we saw him hit home runs multiple times last year in key moments for the Vikings. It's not just, hey, how do you do You know, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter? 
when there are moments where you appreciate the significance of it, the importance of it, and you can reach a higher level then, that is something that's going to come in handy for the Jets. Because one of the quotes I heard in Hard Knocks when they were talking about Aaron Rodgers, we're going to be in every game this year. Well, Mm -hmm. okay, good. But you still got to go win that game. And having a guy like Cook around, if you're in the game, having a guy like Cook around who appreciates those big moments and steps up in those moments, that's how you take a game that you are in and you turn it into a victory. Oh, you could have you had the rhyme right there. How do you how do you miss the win? I specifically I mean, it was just it I was specifically that was intentional. Okay. I mean, but you're not wrong about Dalvin Cook and being a home run hitter. I mean, I think specifically about that Colts game that they had last year where Jeff Saturday blew, you know, a 30 to 35 or 33 to nothing lead, whatever it was. And you had Dalvin Cook, you know, in those critical moments, he takes the screen and he goes the whole way. You know, those are the kinds of things where, you know, a veteran is going to have the wherewithal to say, "I, I got this. You know, there's no kind of nervousness or whatever it happens to be with the rookie that you may or may not get. No, you know that Dalvin Cook is going to be as steady as they come. And I think that's going to be one of the keys here because there are going to be high pressure moments, right? We know that because everybody's going to give the Jets their best shot because they are the winners of the offseason. And whether we want to say, you know, the Sean Payton thing of, oh my gosh, they're doing this and they're doing that. Whenever you get a quarterback of the caliber of Aaron Rodgers, you're going to make the headlines, okay? I mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So if they have a key guy on offense that they can turn to in situations where you need to hand the ball off and you need that critical run and it's a veteran and it's somebody like Dalvin Cook, I think that's a good thing. But I am interested to see how they end up distributing these reps between Cook and Brees Hall and some of the other guys that he was talking about. Because they do have other talented backs. This is just kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday for the offense, I think. Yeah, and uh, some of those other backs aren't going to be there. I mean, Bam Knight, Michael oh, yeah. Carter. It's four guys. They got the rookie from Pitt. They like five. Something's going to happen. Somebody's getting traded or somebody's getting whacked between now and August 29. So that hard knocks vibe that uh, everyone is so happy about, uh, somebody's going to be on the outside looking in. That's that's the obvious import of the arrival of Dalvin Cook. Here is Cook on the running back position, its value, and the communication among the running backs as they try to come up with some solution for the fact that they aren't appreciated financially the way that they believe they should be. And the world's not blind to you know what's going on for the position. Um, everybody know the position is at a is at a standstill right now, and I think the only thing we can do is keep playing good football. And you know we we tried to come up with an equation this this off season of, of starting a running back group chat and you know, reaching out to the PA and everything, but. I think it's just keep playing good football and showing the world that the running back position is a position that really matters on the field. It's just a situation that we're in right now, and I think, you know, I don't got a a solution for it right now, so I'm going to just continue to play good football and and see where it goes from there. It's been great, man, just seeing how guys really, you know, think day to day. You know, I think people mental is real important nowadays, you know, just checking on guys and see how they they really think and how they feeling. You know, after you know hearing what they hear in the media and stuff like that, but Derek, I think I think Derek started up the um the chat, and you know everybody's in it, you know everybody's hands on with it, and we just we just want to check on guys, see how they feel every day. You know, you you go out there and work your tail off on the football field, and you don't get what you deserve a lot of times, and that can kind of 
you know, mess with your mental. So just, just checking on guys. A lot of wisdom in what Dalvin Cook said as it relates to the absence of solutions. So the resolve is just go play football and show how valuable the running backs are. There isn't much, if anything, that can be done. Jonathan Taylor, as we've said multiple times this week, he's in checkmate. There's nothing he mm-hmm. can do at this point, especially since he showed up and didn't hold out. You just got to go play football. For a lot of these guys, there's nothing you can do other than go play and hope that things work out. You display your value. You stay healthy. You get something on the back end. Now, you know, there are some possibilities. There are some ideas. There are some strategies. But there's nothing that is going to be easily implemented. The union doesn't seem to be concerned. I don't know what the union's doing now that they have a new executive director. I mean, they have just like falling off the face of the earth. They don't respond to emails. You can't get any information. They're not sharing any thoughts or ideas. Not that they have an obligation to do so, but, you know, the media can be your ally in trying to get some of your points out there. They're not doing anything to try to help the running backs. The league's not going to do anything to try to help the running backs. The only thing you can do at this point, short of, you know, rewinding the clock on your life and changing positions, is the younger players now not playing running back. If you're a truly great athlete and it's obvious at the level of football that you're in, get away from the running back position, develop skills that will translate if you get to the NFL. There's a lot of ifs as you go from dominant young player to potential NFL player, but when you get there, you want to be at a position that is valued more, that has more longevity, and that that you know doesn't beat the hell out of you every time you get the ball in your hands. I mean, I, I would say that you got to develop multiple skills more than you need to switch positions, right? I mean, you have to be not just a dominant runner, but a dominant receiver. And I mean, I, I look at B. John Robinson, and we don't know what B. John Robinson is or is not going to be, but there's a reason why he was selected with the pick that he was, right? So high up there. And, you know, we'll see how the Falcons deploy him, but. If he gets to a point where he is, you know, a guy that you can rely on for a thousand yards rushing and then maybe 750 yards receiving, let's call it, then that's a guy that I think the Falcons are going to value pretty highly because he has a skill set that most people don't have. And I'm not trying to say that running backs aren't valuable, but I just, I, I, if we're today, it's Friday, August 18th, right? There's not much that's going to be able to be done for running backs right now. Between, you know, between now and let's call it like February after the Super Bowl, once we really start talking about, you know, offseason transactions and guys that can get new contracts and those kinds of things. And what is the market and da 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 da. So I think Dalvin Cook is right. The one thing you can do right now is go out there and play good football and show how valuable the position is. But other than that, I don't know. And like, I mean, Josh Jacobs, like, if you want that 10.1 million, man. Go get it. Go claim it. Cause I, I don't know. I mean, what, what else are we going to see, you know, that a running back can get that kind of money and you're not going to get it unless you get it from the Raiders. So this is an interesting uh, sort of stance there. I don't know. I think one of the reasons Dalvin cook took the offer finally from the jets was Ezekiel Elliott signing with the Patriots one year up mm-hmm. to 6 million cooks looking at what the jets have. And he's like, this may not be here much longer. This market is getting worse and worse, not better and better. So you're right. We said it all week long. Josh Jacobs, go get the 10.1 million. Jonathan Taylor, go play well this year and see what happens next year. There's a point where that's all you can do is go forward with the season. Have a great year. And you mentioned B. John Robinson. I want to say this real quickly before we take a break. Um, 
because they drafted him eighth overall, just like the Panthers took Christian McCaffrey eighth overall in 2017, that will be one of the factors. You know, if he plays well, they've got the investment in him already. They already regard him a key player. And if he is a dual threat like McCaffrey was, third season became the third guy ever to have 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards, they paid him without a fight. They happily paid him $16 million a year. So if B. John Robinson performs, the ingredients are already there for him to be separate from the usual running back. And the reason you're separate, as you said, you have additional skills. Catching the ball, running pass routes, being a multidimensional talent. That's why Le'Veon Bell wanted so much money from the Steelers. He viewed himself yeah. as the number one running back and the number two receiver on the team at the time. So I know Juju Smith-Schuster might have disagreed, but it was early in his career still. He wasn't the MVP yet, the team MVP, which of course ended the whole Antonio Brown experience because he couldn't take that Juju in his second season was the NFL or the team MVP. Anyway, I've completely digressed. Let's take a break. The Jets offense will look very different this year, but how about the Baltimore Ravens? Odell Beckham talks about what they have planned for the NFL. We'll discuss that next year on PFF. Um, I definitely think he wants to throw the ball. Um, and, and we got a lot of talented guys, so I think just finding ways to get the playmakers uh, the ball in their hands um, and being explosive offense, I think, that's what stands out the most. I think, you know, as things progress and obviously we play in September, we still have some time here to work out the kinks and get each and every play and concept down. I think that this would be a very um, explosive offense, an explosive team as well. But uh, specifically with the offense, I think that's the goal is to you know, be explosive. Ravens receiver Odo Beckham Jr. has some experience with Todd Monken. 2019, Monken was in Cleveland as the offensive coordinator. And Mm -hmm. now he comes in following Greg Roman. They have this shift in philosophy. Miles is shaking his head. And and I've said this before. Oh, receivers coach. coach. Okay, close enough. Who was the offensive coordinator that year? Yeah, who was the offensive coordinator that year? Okay, Uh, Browns fan. Who was was it? It was Freddie. Freddie Kitchens was the the head coach. I don't don't quite remember who the offensive coordinator was, but it didn't matter. They were bad. Wow. Some some Browns fan you are. Sorry. Some Browns fan you are, the the offensive coordinator. Of the Browns for 2019. Regardless, uh, Pro Football Reference says that Monken was the offensive coordinator. Oh, How do fault. I know more about the Browns my than fault. you do? Boy, if you're going to come at the king, oh, you better God. not miss. Oh boy, that's that. You know what? That's that's a, that's a fine right there. That's a it's a big L for me right here. Yikes! No, so I, I, so I guess because t- he wasn't the play caller. That's probably why I got confused. I don't know why I got confused. Okay, though. nice try. Nice yeah? try. No, that's I, on me. I. I, I Cut that. And listen, I leaned, I leaned into, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that in post. We leaned into, or at least I did, the error because it was fueling one of my narratives. I was happy. I was happy to be wrong because my point is this. Why are we acting like this guy's Bill Walsh? Why do we, I mean, Todd Munkin, I, was there, were there like 10 teams clamoring to hire Todd Munkin away from Georgia to come save their offense and revolutionize the game? Why are we all of a sudden drunk on this idea that the Ravens are going to unlock this high-end offense because they brought in a guy that nobody else in the NFL wanted? Am I missing I mean- something? I, I think that he did some really good things with uh, that Georgia offense. He made Stetson Bennett into a viable quarterback that could be picked, um, what, in the mid-rounds. So, I mean, that's something. I mean, those route combinations that are they we sure? had were Wait, absolutely Are we dominant, sure, absolutely are we sure he wasn't the receivers coach at Georgia? Are we sure he wasn't the receivers coach at Georgia? We may <laughs> yeah, need to check that. that. That that I'm that one I'm sure about. Boy, that's 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 a bad miss by me. It really is. Yikes. <laughs> 
I'm going to have fun with that one, though. I'll probably forget about it or get bored with it by, oh, I don't know, 2025. But <laughs> <laughs> April 2026 I, is I probably do. a better date, though, you know, if you're thinking about things you're going to get bored with. Why? What's April 2026? Move on. Never mind. I thought you'd get it. Uh, you, I'll, I'll no. tell you later off the air. Okay. All right. Uh, boy, now I'm very intrigued. We're going to throw it a break just so I can find out what the hell he's talking about. So anyway, anyway, um, this is all like one of the grand experiments for the NFL this year. And we really don't know. For as much as I say the Browns are a wild card this year because of Deshaun Watson, the Ravens are kind of offensively a wild card too. We yeah. know who Lamar Jackson is. We know what he does well. We know what he's capable of. My big question is, third and five, number one, is Todd Munkin going to call a pass play or is he going to say, hey, you know what, Lamar Jackson can gain five yards on third down. Let's just let him go do it. And is Lamar going to stick with the progressions? Is he going to follow the play that's called or is he going to say the hell with it? I know I can get five yards. You really want to make the transition. Chris Sims was making the comparison yesterday to Steve Young early in his career, running around all over the place. As he got deeper into his career, he had to stay in the pocket and make things happen. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the year for Lamar Jackson to play a different way so he's not used up. He's not broken down. He's not beaten to the point where he's Cam Newton and he can't find a job in his early 30s because he took too much physical abuse early in his career, running the ball when he could have been passing the ball. This is the time to make the transition. Smart for him to do it, but, you know, we'll see if they can pull it off when it's time to play the games that count. Yeah, and look, I think that if you expect them to, you know, come out like a house of fire early on in the season and it's just going to be Lamar Jackson throwing for 400 yards, like, I don't see that happening. And I don't think that that is really the point of what they want to do. They, they want to become more balanced on offense, right? So you have to be able to have a better passing game in order to do that. You need more weapons besides Mark Andrews in order to do that. They do. They have Odell Beckham Jr. who's healthy. They have Zay Flowers who, you know, by all accounts has been outstanding in training camp. But it's still going to take some time for them to all get on the same page figure out what works because again, Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator has to figure out what works and what doesn't for each one of those players, right? So that's great when you have all of these things that they can maybe do, but it's still going to take probably a quarter of the season, maybe a little bit more of that to really figure out what their best plays are, what, where they can really turn to in critical situations where it's third and seven, right? So I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, you know, that it's going to take some time. It's just, will we get to December? And is that passing game going to be something where you look at it and you're like, oh man, that's dominant. Or is it going to be something where you're still questioning whether or not it really works? And is Lamar Jackson going to be able to stay healthy through the entirety of the regular season? Because that's also something we haven't seen for the last couple of years. One of the big questions, one of the big issues that came up this week, the input that Lamar Jackson suddenly has that he apparently didn't have in past years. Todd Monken talked yesterday about how it's important to empower the players and it's a collaboration, and that's good. That's overdue. I just would have assumed once a guy becomes the NFL MVP in 2019, he's got a little juice in the, you know, in the meeting room, and Greg Roman's listening to what 
one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL has to say. It's part of the progression as you prove yourself. It's good that the Ravens mm-hmm. have finally gotten to the point where they're relying upon Lamar Jackson, getting him invested, getting him involved, getting him to take ownership of the offense. It's more likely that the offense will be implemented the way that they hope it will be if the quarterback is fully on board with it and if he helped build it. Let's go ahead and take a break. Peter King will be joining us live from somewhere in California. Miles isn't the only one who's up early today. We'll talk to Peter King next year on PFT Live. 